This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today we're doing an interview with Tim Rinaldi. Tim's an associate broker at Raincatcher. It's a business brokerage, an M&A firm that partners with entrepreneurs and business owners to help source the best win-win deal for all parties. What's rather interesting is Tim has a varied and interesting background. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Super. Hey, well, Tim, tell us a little bit, you know, a lot of folks have a rather traditional path. I would say that your path is a little more winding. So let's talk about your journey to this point. Yeah. So I went to college with the plan of becoming a doctor. That was my my plan my whole life. Never strayed from it. Did well in school and the testing. And so I enrolled at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston and figured I'd do ENT, maybe pediatrics. Got married my second year in the program. And then in my third year, we found out my wife was pregnant and glad it happened. Obviously, love my son, but also it was the first time that I really took a step back and asked myself, do I really want to be doing this for the rest of my life? I'm the type that once I have a goal in mind, I just put my head down and I make sure I'm going to accomplish it. So this was the first time that I really asked myself, do I want to be still in school and then a resident and an intern and whatnot? And so we realized that it wasn't a good fit for me. I grew up with my dad with a doctor. I wanted the prestige that comes with that, but it really wasn't a fit. So I withdrew from school, got into business development work and sales. We moved to Boston. I joined a software company in the sales role and then decided I should get my MBA. And that's when I uh, came across Raincatcher and realized that this role was really perfect for my aptitudes and my interests and what I love to do. You and I were talking before the episode and said you've done some mission work as well. Yeah, that's actually how I met my wife in college. I led eight mission trips to Honduras. I also went to the Dominican Republic and a month in Kenya. And that experience really changed me. And I learned that if I ever have an opportunity to impact the people around me, I just, I love it so much. And it's the most passionate that I'd ever been in my life was when we decided to build a medical clinic in the mountain villages of Honduras. And for a year, I just had this goal that we were working towards. And I loved being on a mission. And so I realized that's how I should be living my life. I think that's remarkable. I think about the very tapestry of your background. I was a pre-med kid that organic chemistry took out. And so kind of get the journey of how much biology can you stand. And then you think about you finish undergrad and you spend the next eight, 10 or 12 years going further down the educational pipe. But between, you know, the business in Boston and the pre-med work and all the sciences and math and chemistry and all that that goes on and then out impacting communities in your volunteering work really, I think, speaks a lot about your penchant for helping because that's what it seems like. Um, Yeah, I would definitely say so. I've learned that my happiest moments are when I'm striving to do something for someone else. Anytime I catch myself really reflecting on what's happening to me, I'm usually just feeling sorry for myself and trying to look for reasons to be frustrated. So I try and put myself in a position to focus on others and, and to see how I can help others to be happier. With that being said, down this journey, you found Raincatcher or Raincatcher found you. Let's talk a little bit about that process. Yeah. So my colleague Jude David is also here in Lafayette, Louisiana with me. He and his wife are actually the godparents for our youngest son. And when he joined the company a little over a year ago, I was just asking him, you know, small talk, what are you doing now? He had been a merger and acquisition attorney for his entire career. And when he told me that, you know, with the work they're doing and the impact they have on business owners, I immediately was like a moth to a flame, like, wow, that sounds awesome. How can I do that? And so it started with the conversation with him and then Jason Thomas, the, you know, the head of our brokerage team. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized it combined, you know, my background in sales and marketing 
but also the passion that they have for small business owners and, and impacting them. Because in many cases, selling their business is one of the biggest moments of their lives. And they play an integral role in helping them to achieve a positive outcome. And so I love that I can have that impact for small business owners and I can be with them from the beginning of the process to help them understand not only what their business is worth, but what they can expect throughout this process. Yeah. And so we talked a bit about that as well. And you say, well, other than your friend, there's the process that you went through for Raincatcher. And they've got a very specific culture that they really promote. And right now there's, I think, what, six or eight of you guys in Raincatcher with Marla and yeah. Jason. And I think you're yeah. adding a couple more here near term. And, you know, yeah, well, if, I keep it growing. Yeah. So if you were going to describe to a business owner the top two or three things in the culture of Raincatcher that you think are important, what would they be? I would say that the top two that I always think about, one is our passion. I mentioned the passion for impacting business owners. There are a lot of brokers out there that will tell business owners what they want to hear. Oh, your business is worth so much money. Take them under to their portfolio. If it sells, great. If not, oh, well, they've brought on enough business owners that they don't need them all to sell. With Raincatcher, we strive to impact every business owner we work with. And sometimes that may mean difficult conversations about valuation expectations, but we know for them to be happy throughout the sale, they have to have a good understanding of what they can expect. The second thing is, I would say, constant improvement. One thing I love about the team, and especially Jason and Marla's leadership, is we're never satisfied. Even though there's so many accomplishments that we can be proud of, they're constantly changing the process. Every time something works well, we reflect on, you know, what did we do that led to that positive outcome? If there's something that doesn't go exactly how we planned, we immediately figure out how we can prevent it from happening again. Even though everyone on the team works remotely, it enables us to be such a tight-knit team because we're constantly trying to learn from each other and to figure out how we can provide the best service to our clients. In talking with Marla before, it's not just kind of an ad hoc process. I think you guys schedule time weekly to do updates and here's what's working and here's what's not working and here's what we're seeing. So the transmission of culture and knowledge is top down, bottom up from what I can tell. Oh, yeah. They're constantly looking to get our feedback since we're at the ground level of working with business owners. And we have meetings every day and every week just to hear from us what we should be doing, what we can be doing better. For the business owner that might say, you're a young fella, you know, in the scheme of things, unlike me. <laughs> and you go, so if you get a question asked to you that you don't know the answer to, you have a really broad inventory of experience from the team, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Marla has an extensive background, both as a business owner, but also in the specific practice of accounting and as a consultant. Jason has a brokerage experience, but also commercial real estate. I mentioned Jude has worked for a decade as a merger and acquisitions attorney. And then my other colleagues, especially Brian and Keith, have been working as brokers for a long time. So I feel like maybe we haven't seen everything that's happened, but just about everything. And we can talk from experience. And I may get questions I haven't come across yet, but that's why it's so, so great to have such a tight-knit team where I can immediately reach out to anyone and to figure out what it is that we need to do for our business owner at that time. I think folks perhaps underappreciate that inventory of skill sets and experience. And when you're working with business owner that's looking to sell, what do you think is the most important thing or things that you can do that helps that business owner get to that point? Yeah. So from the beginning, it's when I meet a new business owner and I speak with them and learn about them and their business, I take on the lens of a potential buyer to really help them understand 
what it is that about their business that will most appeal potential buyers, but also what might be the reasons that would give them pause or, or hesitation. And from there, we researched the market and other comparable sales to help them to understand what they could expect in terms of evaluation range. And then once we ultimately bring on a new client, it's all about our process. We manage everything from that moment to ensure that they can focus just about all of their time on running their business so they can show that performance is still improving. And that's why buyers should want to join at this time. And then as we move forward in the process, we generate significant interest amongst buyers through our various avenues so that we have several buyers at the table and they understand once we hit our deadline for submitting offers, they're not the only one at the table. Submit a great offer to start with and then be ready to get competitive from that point forward. For me, we talked a little bit about the reason I'm involved and I'm a a multiple business owner as as well. And I think about business owners and they're so busy in their business and doing what they do. And they've spent a great part of their lives, many of them, building and growing and maintaining their business. And when it comes time to sell, I think a lot of them really don't have the resources to go out and get a good idea, talking to brother-in-law, talking to somebody down the street or I read an article and go, well, I think I've got an eight-time multiple just like every other SaaS company on the planet or whatever. And that may or may not be true for you guys when you're talking to the buyer and you go through your process, then you guys offer data to support your thought process, I think. Oh, absolutely. We subscribe to multiple services so that we're armed with all the data we need to give them as accurate and understanding as possible of their valuation expectations. Um, ultimately, it's going to be the buyer who tells them exactly what that, their business is worth because they're the one paying for it. But with enough data, we can give them a good understanding of what they can expect. And hopefully, it's what they're hoping for and they're ready to move forward. In some cases, it's not enough. And then at least they understand that. In other cases, maybe they realize I actually need a year or two years to get my business to where I need it to be. And if that's the case, we've built out an extensive network of other people like yourself who can impact these business owners and to provide services that they need before they're ready to come back to us to sell their business. To kind of drill down just a little bit, let's talk about some of the challenges that are involved in getting the businesses sold. I frequently hear from other business owners, it's not what I thought it was going to be worth. And you hear a number of challenges that they have. And so for you, how would you compare and contrast your process and and ring catcher and what maybe you see from other competitors in the industry? Yeah, so a good example is what a broker's fees are. Are they paid a significant amount each month to where they're actually incentivized in some cases not to sell the business because they're always going to get paid when it's on the market? We're success-based and our incentive is exactly what the business owner should want it to be, that we're paid a commission when their business sells. And then it's, you know, what the fee is. Some other brokers will give a really low fee to attract more business but the understanding is they're also going to put in a lot less work. So they have a huge portfolio of businesses they're trying to sell, and they only really need a small percentage to sell for them to be successful. We're very selective about who we bring on as clients because we know we're going to commit a lot of time and energy to get their business sold. I think about as a business owner, after you've spent a great deal of time building the business, getting it running, hiring proper team members and staff and so on, that you're very much emotionally wrapped around the axle about your company. And it's been an observation that if a business owner gets involved in trying to sell a business by themselves, in many cases, they take their eye off the ball of running the business. And by the time they find a potential buyer for their business, that their numbers have started to wane because of inattention. Yeah. And that's one of the worst things that can happen to us 
during the process of the deal cycle. Maybe we've arranged several buyers who love the business and then they get year-to-date financials and suddenly it's trending down. That's the worst thing the seller could present to buyers. The buyers want to see that the business is trending up. And by hiring a broker who can handle all of these day-to-day steps required to work with these buyers, that lets the seller focus on their business. Ideally, it's growing even more than we expect. And we can go back to the buyers and say, you know, because of this, maybe you should have to increase your offer. Yeah, the worst case scenario the is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So how much inattention can the business take before the price drops more than it costs to hire an advisor to come in and help them? One of the things that always strikes me is for you guys, you guys have a fairly large inventory and awareness of buyers that are in the marketplace. And talk a little bit about the value that you guys bring to the table from that inventory. Yeah. So we've got a database of several thousand potential buyer leads who have reached out to us because of one of our previous listings that they're looking to learn more about. We know that they're in the market for a business and we've segregated them by industry preference, size of business preference, so that when we have new deals on the market, we know exactly who to go back to to let them know. The other thing that we're really skilled at is working with our sellers to identify the potential strategic buyers. So we can Mm -hmm. build out an extensive strategic list so that the moment we launch marketing, we're contacting all of those individuals and groups directly. Because oftentimes it's a strategic buyer who has the most to gain through the acquisition and thus they're willing to spend more what would be considered a financial buyer who's simply just focusing on a, getting a return on their investment. So why don't we dig into that just a little bit? So compare and contrast perhaps the financial buyer to the strategic buyer. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of private equity groups, which we love to work with, but they are much more black and white. I need to purchase it at this dollar amount so that I can grow it to this dollar amount and sell it, or at least just achieve that growth. And if they can't get it at that dollar amount, it's not worth their time. The strategic group is already in the space, whether they're in a different location or in a slightly different vertical in which they can integrate this business into. So for example, say it's a software company that's selling a similar type of software, they can immediately go to their existing customer base with this new offering that they just acquired. So they're able to really increase the revenue significantly and achieve a significant return on their investment. And they understand that. And so they're willing to spend a little bit more than the other groups who don't stand to gain as much from the acquisition. Understanding that Raincatcher doesn't specialize in any one particular industry nowadays, is there one industry where the business sells better or faster than another? It's hard to say exactly which industry is the best. It all varies from time to time. But generally speaking, I would say software comes to mind quickly. Niche manufacturing businesses. We've had a lot of success lately with property management. E-commerce businesses are great simply because the business owner can work from anywhere. So you're not tied to a specific location. Really any business that can point to a significant percentage of recurring revenue. Because really what a buyer wants to know is how much risk do I take when I acquire this business that the revenue and the earnings will drop. And when we can say how much recurring revenue there is and why the buyer doesn't have to worry about losing that revenue, then they have a lot more confidence in acquiring that business. What struck me as interesting is property management companies which are a reoccurring revenue stream with all the rental market, what are you seeing either in the property management space or the e-commerce space? What are the things the business owner needs to think about on their reoccurring revenue model? I mean, to put it simply, it's just to develop as many possible revenue streams as possible that are recurring revenue. Buyers love to see the ways that this business is uh, innovating. I've got a colleague that likes to talk about Warren Buffett's quote on building a, a moat around the business so that competitors can't get into them. 
and the more different lines of business that they have that competitors can't touch at, that, that just gives buyers more confidence in what they'll be able to accomplish once they take over. Let's say that I'm a recurring revenue business and there's two of me. One of me, I have like 150 clients and they're all pretty much equal in revenue. And then I'm another recurring revenue company and all of my business is with the Department of Defense. What would you think talking to either one of those business owners? I mean, the more customers you have, the better, simply because customer concentration is always a significant concern for buyers. If they're able to see that one customer makes up more than 50% of the business, maybe they don't immediately walk away, but it will be in the back of their minds, what if that customer walks away and I suddenly lose such a huge percent of revenue? So if any business owners out there realize they have a significant portion of their business tied up to one or a few groups, seeking to diversify as much as possible will really be appealing to buyers. It's funny, you know, I think about the business owner that goes to the sales team and go, okay, you know, we've got this broad array of clients and there's not one predominant and says, I want to go kill the elephant over here. And I want to go get this one that will double our revenues, but it's now 50% of our client concentration now. And I don't think that helps them. They may get a little more to the bottom line, but I don't think it improves the value of the company. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Again, every time buyers look at a potential acquisition, the first thing they ask themselves is, what should I be worried about? Where is the most risk? And if one customer can leave tomorrow and take away a huge percent of the revenue, then their major concern is, why would they stay once the owner leaves? And if we can't say exactly why that is, many times they'll just walk away from the deal. To that point further, I'm the business owner again. And let's say that of the 150 clients, 130 of them I have a personal relationship with, and I have one other salesman that has a relationship with 20. Looking through the buyer's eyes, how's that seen? Yeah, no, great question. And that's actually why we use what's called the sellability assessment to look at the eight major value drivers of a business, one of which is called the hub and spoke. So it's how much of it is the business reliant on the owner? And then, you know, if there's any one key employee that it's overly dependent on. And so when we're able to see that that's a concern, we have to figure out if the business is truly dependent on the owner, when the owner leaves, what's going to happen? If our concern is a lot of the customers will leave as well, in many cases, we just can't bring them on as a client. If there's reason to justify it, you know, we can bring them on as a client, but we'll, we have to be ready to explain that to every buyer who is interested in learning more. Yeah, that's where the owner would have to stay on on an earn out and there's all the other factors. And you know, thinking about the business owner, they think about, well, here's my business. I've worked all my life. It's really shiny and pretty and it's made my reputation in town. And then they think about, well, how much can I get for the business? And then invariably, they get told it's worth less than they were thinking. What do you think's going on for that business owner? I mean, I think for some business owners, they haven't done enough research. Others have actually done too much research. Because if you go online and you're looking for answers to a question, no matter what that question is, you're going to find a lot of different answers. And I think that's why it's so important to reach out to someone who has experience in this space who can tell you not necessarily the exact dollar amount that it's worth, but what range you can expect. Just because it varies by industry, and a lot of other criteria where after, you know, I speak with a business owner for 30 minutes, I can understand what are the biggest selling points, what are the biggest risk factors, and how those could theoretically impact the valuation for a buyer down the road. You know, you guys to that end, in talking to Marla and Jason, I think you guys, one way or another, worked with hundreds of companies within Raincatcher, and you guys have some really unique tools, and you touched on one of them, which I think was the sellability assessment. But there's also another one that you guys have. Yeah, so 
We use a couple. One is the pre-score assessment. And that's one thing that not just us, but the industry at large has seen with business owners is many sell their business and aren't happy with the, the outcome. And there's a lot of different reasons that can happen. But in many cases, it's because they just haven't really taken enough time to reflect on how their life is going to change when they sell their business. You know, suddenly, what do they do with their time? What do they do when they don't have people coming to them for their expertise? It's not just about earning a certain paycheck or benefits. So much about their life is about the change. And so we work with a group called the Value Builders who create the sellability assessment, but also the pre-score assessment to help these business owners to start that reflection process before they even decide to sell their business as opposed to once it's too late. I think about the business owner that's leaning into the wind, right? He's busy driving a car, he's charging around, doing what he does. And then on the following Monday, he's no longer that business owner. And I think that from my experience in talking to business owners, there's not much emphasis or planning put into that day after you sold your business. What am I going to do next? Thought process. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Business owners think about the dollar amount they want to get from their business. And in many cases, they get that amount, but they're still not excited about all of the other outcomes. And I think that's why I mentioned earlier, we're really selective about who we bring on as clients. We want to be very confident that we're going to provide an outstanding experience to each of our clients. And in some cases, if we think there are other issues besides the valuation of their business and their customer concentration and everything else, maybe we'll have a a serious conversation or put them in front of exit planners to see, you know, should we take more time before we sell your business? That's a nice segue into some of the factors that drive the value of business up or down. What do you typically see? Yeah, and it's going back to the question of risk for potential buyers, whether it's owner dependence or customer concentration, those can drive the value down. One of the biggest ones is just the performance of the business. If it's trending down and there's not a good explanation for it, that's going to scare almost every buyer away. As far as trending up, it's almost the opposite. It's the business that's increasing or just an older business that's very reliable and steady. There's opportunities to scale the business that the owner has chosen not to do for various reasons. We mentioned recurring revenue before. That's a big one. A business that's not overly dependent on its owner or any group of customers are a big one. I think about the baby boomer owner, but it may be that he says, you know, I'm getting to a certain age. I don't want to add more money into the thing to grow it. It may be that some of his sales systems are antiquated. There's any number of things where if you're a strategic buyer or even a financial buyer, he goes, you know, with the cash infusion, a little more energy, a you know, CRM system, updated marketing program that we can take and really affect the growth curve. So I think from the buyer's eyes, I think a lot of the business owners don't necessarily look at it from the buyer's eyes in those factors, I don't think. Yeah, buyers are going to ask themselves, what has it been doing until now? How much can I rely on it to continue that performance? And then what more can I do for it? And those really every question buyers ask is with those in mind that they know that they can be confident in it continuing its level of performance, but also improving with their background and expertise. Got to buy the future, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yep. So in looking at that, we already know that the factors that drive it, the value of the business potentially down, revenues and earnings are declining. But what are some of the mistakes that you see business owners make when they're wanting to sell? In many cases, it's that they don't plan ahead. They reach out to us because they're ready to sell, and I wish that they had reached out to us a year ago so that we could start to get the business ready. In some cases, they can work with exit planners, significant changes to their business. In other cases, it's just getting the financials in a better order so that we can then present those financials to buyers. Yeah, it's just planning ahead so that 
what we're presenting to buyers is from a position of confidence as opposed to one that's rushed, that we have to sell for this one reason. We can't afford to wait any longer. Buyers are going to see that and either wonder what's really going on. Maybe I don't want to acquire this business or use that as leverage to talk down the price. You could be running your business, doing what you do and have a health event, which just forces you into a sale. And if everybody knows that's the case, that's a leverage factor, I think, for the potential purchaser. I always thought, let's say you're sitting here today and the business buyer that you're working with today or a business seller, if you could go back five years ago and offer advice to that same business seller, what do you think the top one or two things you might tell them to do five years ago to make them more prepared for today? You know, in many cases, it's just make decisions with a potential buyer of your business in mind. If you were looking to acquire a business in this industry, what would I want to see? How can they diversify their customer base? What changes can they make to their team? Go on a vacation for a month and see if your team can handle it without you. And if it can't, what do I need to change to then build up my team around me so that it's not so dependent on myself? Yeah, I think that's, that's what I would say. Do you think a lot of the business owners really, you know, we often hear, well, you should have good financials. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I should be taller. It's sort of obvious, but I think for a lot of the business owners, the utility of their financials is not understood well, or it doesn't give them the levers that they need to pull. Is that what you see? Yeah. In many cases, the financials aren't perfect, but they're good. And we have a colleague on our team who can recast them and make them look the way buyers want to see them. Really, it's a minority of companies that we come across where there's just such a state of disarray that we couldn't confidently talk to buyers at this moment because they're going to request to see these financials and their taxes. And, and that's when we bring in outside groups to provide the extra work that's needed to get their business ready to sell. You've had some mileage with the firm and in the ground running. Any tricks that you've learned so far along the way that attract the buyer's interest into a business that's for sale? We've created a marketing package that I'm really proud of. We worked with a graphic designer and a copywriter. And so when we bring our businesses to market, we get a lot of compliments from buyers because it's, it's just a really impressive package in which they're not always going to decide to submit an offer, but it enables them to make quick decisions as far as whether or not they are interested in moving forward. And then the other thing we've done is we implement deadlines for each of our deals on the market, whether it's four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks from when we launch marketing, buyers are told, you know, you have to submit your first offer by this day. And we actually have a deal where we just did that this past Friday. And it's funny that, you know, there's a flurry of activity in the days leading up to that deadline, just like it's in school. And they give me all the questions they have and submitting their offers. And then I'm able to go back to them and say, we're working to narrow down the field. These are the questions we have for you. So these buyers are getting a sense that they're not the only one at the table. And they understand that they're going to need to be competitive to get to move forward with this potential acquisition opportunity. I think about the emotional roller coaster of the business owner between Jesus for sale and I've got a hot buyer and if they cool off and something else. How do you help a business owner manage that emotional roller coaster? Yeah, a big part of, of my role is just helping them to manage expectations that many of these deals unfortunately fall apart one, two, maybe three times until we really find the right buyer. At the end of the day, it's always going to be the best buyer that wins out because they're the ones that were the easiest to work with. One thing I've really appreciated since joining Raincatcher is for many of our business owners, the best buyer isn't just the one who pays the most. It's the one who is the best fit, who's going to carry on the legacy that they've built. And so that's what I love is if you tell me you need not just the highest dollar amount, but you need to see X, Y, and Z in a buyer, 
we're going to have that discussion with every potential buyer that we come across. And that's one way we kind of narrow down the field to learn who's going to be the best fit. And it's not as simple as what is the highest dollar amount that I see on a sheet of paper. And so I think whenever I have these discussions with sellers, don't get them overly excited because things can still happen. But there is reason to be excited, you know, to a certain extent. They should be proud of what they've built, that buyers are interested in it. And we're going to do what we need to do to find the best buyer for their business. I was thinking as we're going along here, and I failed to ask you how folks can find you on social media. Yeah. Yeah. How do they find you? Yeah. So you can always go to raincatcher.com. We have our team page. You can learn more about myself and everyone else on our team. There's the Raincatcher LinkedIn page. You can see my profile there. By all means, please connect with me. Message me if you have any questions. I really do enjoy working with small business owners and giving them advice. I have many more calls than we have clients, and I don't consider that wasted time. I like giving people the understanding that they need at this stage of their, their life. So if there's anything that we can help with, you know, I do want to be there for business owners. So to come to a close, because I've been harassing you now for a while, the best piece of advice you think you ever got? One thing I've learned, you know, we've talked about my background that certainly wasn't a straightforward path that I hoped for. And I've had moments of thinking back, you know, I gave up such a steady career path with good income as a doctor. And I've had moments where I wasn't sure if I was about to be fired from the software company during layoffs or what my next job would be. And I've done a lot of reading about personal development and career development. And so one book I like to think a lot about is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And what he talks about is my instinct is to focus on myself and to think about what the company should be doing for me. What is my career path? Why have I not gotten this bonus or this promotion? Instead, it's what can I do for the company? How can I make this my craft and just seek to get better each and every day? And that's one reason I appreciate Raincatcher so much is that's shared by the team. We have that dedication to constant improvement. And so since I've shifted my mindset towards my personal growth and having a greater impact for the company, but also all of our clients, you know, I get much more of a, an enjoyment out of my work and my career because I, you know, I see this improvement that I'm experiencing. I see the impact I'm having. And it carries over to my family and friends as well. It's, you know, what can I do for those around me? How can I be a better husband, a better father, a better friend? It's impacted my life. And I, I think I'm definitely a better person as a result of it. You know, it sounds like, how can I serve? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's doing well by doing good. And if you look at the business owner and says, you know, I do have your best interest at heart. And there'll be some times where it's challenging. And I'll tell you that up front. Sometimes mm -hmm. this won't be much fun. And says, but we're here to take in, in actors of buffer and kind of a sounding board. And I think all those things, you know, I've talked to a number of the folks from Raincatcher and that's a culture that permeates everybody that I've talked to within the organizations. Absolutely. So for you folks out there that are considering selling a business near term or for a little bit further down the road, I would urge you to reach out and have a dialogue and give Tim a call and say, Tim, talk to me about what you're seeing. What are you hearing? And I think the biggest mistake that you can make as a business owner is not reaching out because frankly, preparing your business for potential sale, because we're all going to transition. I mean, we've got a hundred percent success rate on death so far. Nobody survived. And so your business is going to transition one way or another, but doing all the things that Tim and Raincatcher are suggesting are frankly just good business. Diversified contracts, de-risking the business, having duplication of tasks and written procedures and all the things that recurring revenue streams, all the things that add value. It's just plainly good business. So, well, Tim, is there anything you would like to close with or did we cover the waterfront? You know, we really did. The one thing I thought of is 
you know, in many cases, I'm speaking with business owners who have been running their business for longer than I've been alive. And that's something that I really appreciate. I understand that this has been their life's work and they just want to understand what it is that it's worth and how they can find someone who can carry on the legacy they've built. And we appreciate that opportunity. I really enjoy being in a position to give people advice when it can help and when it makes sense for them and for us to find that buyer for them. And it's just a a great opportunity for me to work for the business owners and to have that impact with them and to see their excitement throughout this process while they work with us. Well, Tim, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time from the big city of Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much for your time, Tim. Well, perfect. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it. You bet.